When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town? Your state? Across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We have our host for the episode, Paul Singh, with another exciting topic today. Paul Singh is the CEO of Startup Strategies, where he advises various startups on how to grow their businesses. He's also an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at Northeastern University. He's a successful entrepreneur and has sold three companies and taken one company public. He has worked for over 20 years in various areas, including M&A, business development, and marketing. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Uh, this is your host, R. Paul Singh. Uh, this season, as you know, we are talking about global business for startups, with a focus on startups. And today, I have a very special guest with me, uh, Mr. David Goldsmith. He's a consultant, inventor, advisor, speaker, and a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he also used to teach at uh, NYU, and he's written an interesting book called Paid to Think, a leader's toolkit for redefining your future. Um, his resume is relatively long and will probably, uh, you know, if I keep reading all of his uh, accomplishments will probably be done with the show. But <laughs> in short, uh, he's co-founder of Goldsmith Organization, and he has founded uh, more than a dozen companies, and he speaks at various conferences, which is where I met him. So with that, let me welcome David Goldsmith. Uh, glad to be here today. Thank you. So David, uh, you know, we met... Uh, at, uh, at the conference uh, called the Global Technology Symposium, where uh, you were kind of the judge for the event, and it seems like you've been doing that for a number of years. So maybe, uh, you know, let's start a little bit about talking about what GTS or Global Technology Symposium is. Uh, Global Technology Symposium is a, another one of those Silicon Valley or global conferences where you have a combination of a, a learning experience and competitions that go on. And my role has been for the past several years to be the, the head judge at that event. And the, the, the one reason I participate in this, and I flew in from Hong Kong just for this event this uh, few weeks ago, was because I love the diversity of competitors that come in, the uh, extreme range and quality of the judges that Sasha Johnson, who runs the event, brings together, and the educational programs that are combined with it, whether Steve Jurgensen spoke this last time, or I was on stage with Dave McClure and Norm um, Fogelsman, uh, Fogelsong, there's been just a, a great rich group of people, not too large, not too small, where you get to meet people, interact, and, and learn a lot from them. So it's a really great experience, at least on my end. And is it a great event for entrepreneurs and you recommend that they should get involved? And if so, how? Uh, 
Absolutely. I, I think the event has a different quality of competition. And what I mean by that are twofold. One, you've got an, an international group that's being brought together. And the second is the, again, the judging panel that Sasha's capable of bringing together is just absolutely incredible. Sasha uh, did a podcast with us uh, about one, uh, you know, two episodes ago. Um, so, so you are in Hong Kong, right? I mean, uh, I, I thought you were a U.S. citizen and, you know, all of your career you've been here. So what, what brought you to Hong Kong? Well, Hong Kong's, uh, the story, I'll try to shorten it to make it for the sake of time. If we traveled back to 2008, 2009, we had built our businesses within a geographic region, specifically or more specifically the United States. And growing up in the States, we don't talk much as much about going international or global as a framework. And then in 2008, 2009, what happened was we had a cancellation or a termination of a project we were about to start. And the state of Michigan had canceled everything that had anything to do with moving forward, educational learning, strategy. It was just massive. Mm-hmm. And I had just had a meeting with a friend of mine uh, who was second in command at Paulson and Company, the people who shorted the market. And we had some dialogue about the changes going through. I didn't know they were very much in line with the CDOs and they made that $3.5 billion profit for two years in a row. And something seemed off in our head, in our company, that we said, I said, let's reach out globally. Instead of trying to hunker down, let's try to make the world a different place for us. I put together a database. There's a long story to it. Sent it out, uh, eight, 900 people got some replies back, one of them from Hong Kong. And after a conversation that I had with her at two in the morning, I said, if you'll give me 90 minutes of time, I'll fly out to see you. And I flew out to Hong Kong, met this woman who set up uh, 50 people to hear me speak along with some other speakers in a showcase type environment. And through that, I ended up meeting someone from Maersk, did a presentation, got connected, and we secured over the period of about uh, several years, several million dollars worth of business in the Hong Kong market. So I, I more or less landed here knowing not a single person, not, not knowing the language, the lay of the land, navigated through that just hustling because the United States uh, economy had collapsed and was able to build a life out in this part of the world. So now we're going on nine years that we've had an office out in Hong Kong. And it's been an absolutely amazing ride to see the United States from a different perspective. And it's also been an amazing ride to be a part of a, a whole different world that has been growing in, in a different path. You, you, so you're saying hustling works everywhere, huh? It's not just... <laughs> oh, let me, I, I get a lot of emails. People want to talk to me. I get a lot of... Uh, of uh, yeah, they're primarily emails or text. And there's nothing like hopping on a plane flying to uh, Copenhagen or to Moscow or to Cape Town or anywhere in the world, sitting down face-to-face with somebody, having that dialogue, understanding what they're going through, understanding their challenges, uh, being able to see if you're really a solution, not over the phone, but a real solution in front of them. And yes, hustling really does make a difference. You mean United would love you, huh? Uh, United (laughs) Airlines, you mean? Yes, or... uh... 
or is it uh, some other other well, no i i'm i'm one k on united i'm high on american i i i actually carry a list with me i for frequent flyer miles i've got almost every airline you can think of every hotel you can think of and every car rental company you can think of okay, just next because, time i need yes. miles i'll call you yes i've got i and and yeah it's an amazing world it's an absolutely amazing world out there so so you know it it's like it, you you bring up an interesting point and you know this is something that might be very useful to a lot of my friends and colleagues in the US who might have never stepped out of the US uh, and you know in today's world with a lot of saas models many companies don't even you know leave their desk and do the business so in the new world of you know SaaS and the way business is being done, you are kind of talking about still doing the old-fashioned way. So, tell me, tell me more. Let's. I can break it up into a few different pieces. First of all, uh, being extremely digital is very powerful. I'm 55 years old. My first CRM that I had was 1986. Mm-hmm. And we have, it's not a large database here, but our database is about 26,000 names. We keep tra- track of name, address, phone number, history, everything you can think of in our system. And we've gone through several iterations of different companies. So being digital is extremely important. Being able to reach out to mass markets, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or any other type of uh, digital uh, way of communicating with somebody is important. At the same time, Sitting behind a desk doesn't often get you the capability of understanding the texture, the the framework, the positioning that the individuals and companies you're trying to work with are really going through. So yes, it's nice to ask a question, but it's very different to hop on a plane, especially if it's a SaaS model with a lot of opportunity in it, to sit down face-to-face, watch the reaction. I know you can do it on Skype or Zoom or, uh, or any platform. Yet that ability or that willingness also shows to the other party your sincere interest in making that connection. And I don't see as much of that. And I had a conversation with a startup, startup there, there are 50 people right now in Singapore, and they're having some challenges. And I said, have you hopped on a plane? And he said, no, I've called them. I said, you're missing half the information you need. You need to see how their offices are running, how they're interacting, what's going on, so that you can get a better positioning to position your company to be sold. And he, he said to me, I'm going to, st- I'm going to start hopping on planes again. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting because I used to have a boss. Um, we merged with a company from Israel. And he always used to say, unless uh, I have sat in front of the customer and had a meal with them, I don't think they're going to be my customers. And uh, most of the time he was right uh, because every time you sat in front of a customer and had a drink or a meal or something, uh, you knew that the relationship was getting stronger and stronger and it made it more difficult for somebody to say no to you. Well, we also have to preface that, that while you're there, you are uh, a kind person or a a shrewd person or an intellectual person that they're interested in. Of course. Yet being in front of them, if you think, if we take the American perspective, and I'm not, and I'm going to use broad brushes, and please don't take them as a negative. It's a, it's hey, okay. But I'm American too, so yes, you're I'm more American. American. I adopted America as my country. Right. So, so I, I, I sense. America is a very distributed 
locale, meaning you have cities all over where you've got to be, and there's a there's a general sense of how Americans operate. Yet if you go if you want to work with the Japanese, you have to sit down with them. If you want to work and and really connect with uh, people, the Danish culture, there's nothing like sitting in front of them and seeing how they interact with one another. The French want to break bread with you. The Italians want to break bread with you. The Israelis want to argue with you in front of you as a friend, but they're going to want to have some hummus with you. So yes, there is such a value in having that interaction face-to-face and then adding value, but before that, really learning what they're about. I mean, understanding that their, their sentences are not what they mean the same way that you, you might understand them. And this is from a person traveling who's a Singaporean going to Copenhagen too. It doesn't matter. It's that language and culture are different. So the meanings and expressions are different. The contexts are different. So very challenging to get around. Yeah. So David, uh, we have less than a minute left uh, yep. in this uh, part. And I want you to start thinking about like, what would you, you know, if I were to ask you in a kind of a lesson in the culture of business in various (laughs) countries you've been to, what are the different things you will say? And uh, I'm sure that it'll take more than 30 seconds that we have left. Uh, So I just want to give you some time to think about it when we come back uh, after this break and uh, talk a little bit more about it. Uh, so with that, I'm going to take a break and we'll be back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Mahesh Joshi at VulcanManagement.com. Now, back to the program. Well, we are back with uh, David Goldsmith uh, talking about global business. The topic that we're going to deal with is our entrepreneurs paid to think or to act. But before we get to that, I want to resume the conversation we were having before the break um, about the global business. And since David has had an extensive experience of working in various companies and in various countries, uh, so I thought we'll get some nuggets from him in terms of what is it that people who are embarking on doing global business can learn from and anything specific that you can share with us, David, from any of the countries, your experience that people should know about. It's a, it's a challenging question only because the world is so large. So let me start with the, the first premise is that the standards and beliefs that are typically, I would say, American are not as universally applied around the world. So for example, living in Hong Kong, there's a very large expat community, and it is not uncommon for people to use a nationality as a means of introducing somebody. We're, gonna, we're going to meet two people. There's going to be a, um, uh, a Brazilian and a South African. So the, just understanding that you're being introduced by your nationality is a real eye-opener because I go out to dinner and people will say to me, yeah, we've got two Brits, we've got a German, we've got a Lithuanian, two French, and an Italian. And that's, you're not told anything else. That, that's the makeup. So when you meet people, there's nothing wrong with cultural stereotypes, if we want to say, as a means of getting to understand somebody. As a matter of fact, on CVs or resumes, they do put down their nationality, number of children, and all of those other pieces of data that you don't get in the States. Yeah, Here I remember that. So yeah. it's very acceptable. Yep. Second is that uh, understanding or, or cultures, each culture has its own way of doing business. It might sound odd that we don't have this ubiquitous way, this one standard. But if you're going to a country, for example, and I'm going to be very stereotypical, sorry, when I say this. If I'm going to go to Japan, I'm going to know that I'm going to be dealing with a hierarchy, that there's a means that you have to understand the person you're going to talk to is going to ask permission from somebody else, which is going to ask permission from somebody else, which is come come back, back down to you and then down to them. And you have to be willing to give the deal time. If I'm dealing with Germans in Germany, I'm going to be looking at being very succinct, getting to the point, have to be on time. There's a structure. They'll have plenty of fun. I mean, we've gone out and had beers and gone bowling and, and done race cars, all sorts of things. However, when it comes to business, there's a, a philosophy. Macedonians or, or Albanians or Serbians, they're much more into the, the passion and the, and the emotion that comes with it. So they want to get to know you more, which is very similar to what you might find with the Italians, the French, or the the Spanish. My point is across the world, what you want to do is find out how these people, these individuals live their lives. I'm not going to say play their game, live their lives and how they connect on an interpersonal level. And the third, and I can give you 10, but let me give you the third. Is there something that in, in paid to think, which will come up later, I've 
termed international speak. International speak is not speaking louder or faster or slower. International speak is learning to enunciate your words so that people can understand them. It's taking out idiomatic expressions and often repeating yourself, which is interesting. You might not notice, but I'm talking to an individual and I might say, well, every, the stars are in alignment. They're all in a row. And you won't notice it and they won't notice it, but I've repeated myself two or three different times. In different, and in two or three different ways. So that the person on the other end, I do not know which they understand, they can then come back to me, oh yeah, I got it. But they might have got version two, not three. So whether it's be Bangladeshis where I have to work through translators uh, and I have to be able to communicate with them verbally and non-verbally or Sri Lankans, we're working in India, whole different uh, set of rules. Each country is going to give you that unbelievable experience of really trying to figure them out. So let, let me, so this is one experience that I have seen and I, I just want to get your opinion. Uh, I mean, in, in the US, the current thinking when I do my slides, for example, is to put very little text on it. And I don't think that is typical of the slides that come from when I judge competitions from, like I judge a competition from Tokyo, a uh, lot of companies come in uh, at the, one of the universities every year and, you know, their slides are full of text, right? Uh, but, but when I go out as an American businessman, the slide that I have for my American audience don't seem to play very well because, you know, the language is not at the same level and pictures do some justice, but not fully. So people are used to kind of reading as well. So is that something you see still there or has that thinking also changed in, in Asian countries at least? Let, I'll give you three quick points. Number one, when people see an American way of delivering a message, for example, the bump, 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 bump message, you'll hear people in the audience say, oh, very American. So that is not traditional the same way you might find it in other countries. Number two is it depends on the presenter. In any language, any culture, if the presenter can present in a way that is very clear and the audience can understand it, it doesn't matter how the slides are. Mm -hmm. However, many people who go cross-country borders, what they do is they don't understand the audience, so the combination of the words they say and the slides don't match. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the reading of the slides enables a person to understand the individual, no matter what country they're from because they're not connecting. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to be very aware that there is no one best culture in the world. There are cultures with people and individuals who have different ways of learning and understanding content. So, and then getting to your last point, it also depends on the quality of the delivery, the, the, the service and product. When I'm in, for example, Lithuania, which I did a, a competition, a judging on a competition, one of the challenges that I had to share with the audience is they were really not delivering exponential growth co companies that would be s symbolic of Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, Valley is five years, $100 million, billion-dollar valuation. You want to be a unicorn. Many countries are really just trying to show how they can create a company that mm -hmm. can have $2 million in revenue and give themselves a better or a different life than they have currently. We have to be careful. We're not judging those slide decks on mm -hmm. our premise versus them.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, obviously the business climate is different. People are thinking differently. But I think I would say the the change that I have noticed in the entrepreneurs that come from outside the Silicon Valley now, I find their standard has risen a lot because of the advent of you know, information being at your fingertips all the time and knowing the state of art, if you might, everywhere. Do you, do you see that to be the case and how, how is that affecting the global business? I would say yes and no. I would say that the quality is improving all over the world of a, or a standard is developing. And yet, when you ask those questions as a judge or a mentor or an advisor or a consultant, what I'm getting back is they don't... Con- understand, and I'm not saying they, let's just say individuals might not completely understand the implications or the translation to what a Silicon Valley or now it's spreading, for example, to Austin or Houston or other cities in New York City or Boston. The understanding of what expectations are in growth are different. Here's a way to understand this. In America, the average or the, I don't know if it's a median or average, but the income level of a middle class person starts at what, $40,000, $50,000 a year. If you go to India, for example, a middle class individual is anywhere from seven dollars to $14,000 a year. And if you go to China, maybe it's, and this number is off the top of my head, so please don't take it as, as fact. Mm-hmm. Is that it's it's a higher number. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of say twelve to twenty four thousand dollars a year. So their expectation of a successful company is not the same as what an American perspective may be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the slide deck and the orientation, even though it comes off that way, is if I have thirty forty employees, I've really changed my family's life. Yeah, but at the same time, now there are enough unicorns coming out of China and India. Uh, so I think that whole thinking uh, is at least evolving because in China and India, the domestic markets are large enough that even if they don't go and sell in the U.S., they still can make decent enough of a company. A- a- absolutely. And I'm, I'm not downplaying their capabilities or skills. It's that the you had asked about slides and presentations. I'm taking about mindset. Right. Okay. If we talk talk mindset, which is different than slides and decks and presentations, if we talk mindset, it's definitely becoming a shoot for the stars environment. And we are seeing unicorns come out of China and the Chinese innovation sector is really booming. I'm uh, an hour and a half train ride, two hour train ride to Guangzhou and Shenzhen region. And there were more skyscrapers built last year in Guangzhou Guangzhou, than there was in the entire United States in one little region. And they've grown from a very small population of 20 million people, and it's continuing to continue to grow. So these these individuals are are really learning very quickly what opportunities are out there. Absolutely. So, David, um, we are coming to the end of this section, and I was hoping that we'll start the topic of, uh, you know, the topic of this discussion. But before that, I want to wrap up this whole section. So, is there anything else you would like to talk about the global business in the next 30 seconds that we have left? Uh, the global business is changing at an unbelievable pace, positive and negative the changes that I'm seeing, Hong Kong has been in, I believe, in a recession for about seven years, but it's changing the, the culture. Everywhere I go, when I show up in these countries, it is different each time. And that makes it exciting, also makes it challenging. Mm-hmm. 
So what should we do uh, to prepare for it? Uh, be Learn about cultures. Be aware. And I can go over that in the next segment. I actually have in paid to think. I have a whole section on being globally aware. The most difficult chapter for me to write in the entire book. Okay. Well, uh, we'll be back after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. and playful insiders take on the biggest stories in tech media and entertainment. Join Lori H. Schwartz, well-known technology catalyst, comedian, and geek girl, as she and leading experts in the media and content business dive into the biggest stories in technology trends, consumer behaviors, and its impact on Hollywood. If you're looking to respond to the tech-fueled changes in the marketplace, then tune in to the Tech Cat Show Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Mahesh Joshi at VulcanManagement.com. Now, back to the program. Well, we are back uh, with Mr. David Goldsmith again. Um, and, uh, you know, David has uh, written this uh, very interesting book that I got to read uh, called Paid to Think. And my question to him is that, uh, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs will tell me that, hey, I'm not paid to think, I'm paid to act. So does it apply to me? So, David, what do you think? First of all, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, so there is no way I could have taken out of the context of the book, The Entrepreneurism. If you think of it in this framework, a good strategy poorly executed will always be better than a poor strategy well executed. No matter what you do as an entrepreneur, the quality and value of your thinking determines what you execute on. So absolutely, you are paid to think 
it's your job to be right. It is and your teams, the leadership team's job to be right. So yes, entrepreneurs are paid to think. So you're saying that yes, execution is important, but you know what is important is first you have to have the right strategy. You have to think about what you are going to do and strategically where does that fit in? Yeah, it, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs say we have to execute. We have to execute, and I say no. We have to stop for a second, take a breather, and decide if this is the right approach. Maybe there's a better approach. Maybe there's a different way we need to be looking at this. And nine times out of ten, with a short conversation or a, an hour review, or they will find that there is something we can tweak, something we can do that would improve the execution that follows that. Strategy uh, tactics always, or execution, always follow strategy. So if we decide we want to go from San Francisco to Mexico and we have a poor plan and it says go north and we go as fast as we can, we will never going to get to Mexico. If our plan says go south and we, we ran out of fuel or we did something, we can, we're still on our way. Yeah, so, but Bart is round, man. <laughs> uh, I, I can't think of an environment where any type of situation or any execution did not come off planning. There's never a one. If you decide you're going to go to a restaurant, you decide which restaurant, who, when, where, how, how much it costs. If you want to build a new marketing plan, it comes off what you're thinking. So your thinking has to be improved. You are paid to think. That is your job. It is to figure out where to take the organization, how to run it, what to do, and the people who you hire count on you to make the right decisions. Because you said that um, strategy is what, 80% and 20% is execution? Oh, no, no, no. It's a, that's a different model in the book. Yeah. What it, that's the, called the, I didn't label this. Someone called it this, so I'm taking the name. It's called the Goldsmith Productivity Principle. It says 80% of the results in an organization, 80%, and I'm being kind. This is the biggest pushback I get in the book. The only pushback I really get in the book is that 80% of the results in an organization are based upon the systems and structure in place and only 20% on the people. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that people are not important and don't take it that way. But if I was giving, if I gave a hairdresser scissors that were dull and they had to execute on it because I didn't have sharpening and planning in place, they wouldn't be able to perform. If I had airline aircrafts and I put seats that went all the way across that there was no way to walk, It'd be very difficult for the employees to do their job. And as a matter of fact, you and I are doing a call from Hong Kong to San Francisco. We have a tremendous amount of technology between the two of us from point to point, from my microphone to the computer to the VoIP system to the lines and it comes out the other side. One line of structure code, one line with the wrong code in it means our phone call won't go through. We're both talented on both ends. At least I'm assuming that, you're that I'm talented, making the assumption here. But one little break, the whole thing goes south, doesn't work. So what we have to realize is that if we're going to solve something, the first thing to always look at is what is the systems and structure that we put in place to enable that to happen? What did management put in place? And then once you've done that, you can then say, if it's good, if it's solid, then we can look at the people. Hugging and kissing and loving and being kind to people and motivating, you can do it, will never be as good as a great system in place. So, so you know, startups usually are always deficient in what we call systems and structures. 
So what would you tell a startup executive uh, as to what should he or she do, especially when, you know, uh, they're basically right now struggling for survival? Okay. Uh, you'll str- they'll struggle more to survival if they don't put in the proper systems and structure. So the first thing that I tend to always do is I look at the, the desired outcome that I'd like to achieve. Okay, what is that? That's not the strategy, the desired outcome. More life, more money, growth, marketing, whatever that may be. And that's a whole different conversation. And then I say, okay, what strategy would I like to put in place that would enable that to happen? And then what macro tactics, what tools would I build? And then I say, okay, if I want to communicate with people and I want the data to be capable of being used for AI or ML, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put in a CRM application in place. I'm going to record the audios that come in so that I can look at sentiment off of the Google engine. I am going to create an environment devoid of the people that will work. And then I will find the people that fill that system. And then I outline it. I draw it out. I create the systems. It's no different than, for example, building a website. Mm-hmm. You, where do you want to take the person? You build a framework. You then start to fill in the meat, you look at the tools that are available, you plug them in, and then the people come in later and use the site. So start, it's not an easy task to teach someone about systems and structure and how to build them. However, if you slow down and take the people out of the equation and say, what would be the process, the methodology, the steps people would take, you are starting on building a system. So, you know, it's kind of interesting you bring that up because one of the things that has changed in the, in the industry today, right? If I'm a, you know, it used to be if I was a big company, I had access to all the tools at a very high end, right? And I could build my custom systems and all that. Uh, but that became more of a liability for a lot of companies because now, you know, I can get an off-the-shelf tool which without a whole lot of customization will meet 90% of my needs. And so as a startup, I can get started with, I can create a system where my bills get paid automatically. My uh, accounting gets integrated with my CRM and everything else is kind of working as a one system. And I've basically paid monthly services for each of them, as opposed to, you know, paying a million dollars or something that I needed in the past in order to set up my, you know, ERP. Uh, so I think to some extent, the technology has enabled the structure to be built faster, which is probably one reason why I think so many of the startups are coming out and are able to grow more faster than they were before. What, what's, what's your thought? Uh, yes, the tools are available more readily today. And yet, you, even selecting the right tool makes a difference. So what would that CRM, what would that ERP, what would that uh, system be able to deliver is one of those places where a leader is paid to think. What are we building? What if we put all the pieces together? We'll deliver on the promise of the strategy we're putting in place. And it has made it simpler. At the same time, it's made it simpler for everybody. So the playing field for competing in that space is if you don't have a uh, project management software system, if you don't have a CRM system, if you're not on Zoom or Skype or on uh, WhatsApp or whatever those tools are, you're at a disadvantage already. 
So yes, it has made it easier, yet it's made it easier for an entire global environment to compete in your backyard. Right. It's now make it much more easier, much more accessible. You know, you can get Zoom as easily in India and in Hong Kong and the price is right. And versus, you know, in the past, you had to build your own network in order to really have a global system. Like I remember IBM built a very large private network, which probably doesn't add much value today, right? My my first phone call to China was back in the 1980s, and I paid $300 for about 10 minutes for that phone call. Mm-hmm. And today, I, I, my father still says to me, you sound so close. You sound so close. <laughs> we make phone calls all day long. And I would say on my end, the majority of phone calls that I make are global calls. But that's part of systems and structure. It's what tools do you have around you? Yet the world used to be that you had your own country that could protect its own environment. So therefore, I'm selling in, uh, in France or I'm selling in England, and those are the people, and maybe they'll come over from Europe. I'm selling the States, and I have some competition. But today, a person can start a company today in Hong Kong with its desired market being the U.S. and be there and be present within an extremely short period of time. So the time for capabilities and building a systems and structure has also shrunk. You have to be able to do it faster. So what, what, should, you know, what should an entrepreneur do in terms of thinking? What, what do you want him to think about most of the time? What, what is his best you know, use of his or her time in thinking that they should be spending on based on your models? Uh, I, I want to say my models, uh, very quickly, what happened was I was frustrated. I started my first business in university with a partner. We had 18 people living in a home. I've owned multiple businesses in, in different environments, different types of service offerings. And I don't know if there's one specific place in which someone for focus, but what I was challenged with is I read these books I read about these tools. I read about from companies that uh, for products that weren't being successful. And I said, I don't get this. I, I started my MBA. I learned marketing, sales, operations, finance. But really, a leader does 12 things every day. doesn't matter what environment you're in. And those 12 are ubiquitous no matter your profit, nonprofit, government, military, and education. And very quickly, there's four categories. You strategize, you perform, you forecast, and you learn. And within there, you're developing plans, creating new products and services, establishing alliances, you're leveraging technology, you're leading the charge, empowering others, innovating everywhere. I mean, the list goes on. And what I say is, why don't you learn the tools that are transportable and, and capable, and then we can go from there. Okay. So uh, we're going to take a break. Um, we'll be back and I'll pick up the conversation in a minute. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Mahesh Joshi at VulcanManagement.com. Now, back to the program. Well, we're back here with Mr. David Goldsmith, and uh, we were talking about uh, before the break about the entrepreneurs are paid to think um, just like everyone else, um, not only to act. And, um, you know, one of the things, uh, David, that we all find that in today's global business, because of the competition being so much that marketing and sales take a very new, you know, require a very new approach than what people have been used to. And the traditional definition of the four P's of marketing, you know, product, price, promotion, placement, uh, you know, seem a little outdated. And I know you gave a little different definition of this. So I, I want to build a little bit about that. And, you know, you call the four P's in very different way. Um, so can you elaborate a little bit about what your four P's are? And then we can talk about each of them and why you feel they're different and what should we do about it? So in the context of product, the four Ps work in one dimension, but if we're talking about a global environment and trying to reach out and tie into marketing, the four Ps are, first of all, you start with your people that you've got. And the old adage is we send people to other countries and they'll be able to manage it. What we're finding more and more is that people on the ground need to be more of the local people because they understand the cultures, the norms. And I have friends in, for example, Japan, who the entire company is Japanese because so the Japanese culture is a more challenging culture to, to tap into. So one of them is to, to use people on the ground that have that capability. The second one is product. And that when you're developing products today, you should be designing the product immediately for international use, not just domestic use, even if you're selling it locally. Meaning in New York City, there's 90 different cultures that are represented in, that, in the city. So even if you're developing a product to sell in New York City, it would be advantageous to have an international spin on it and be thinking in those uh, in different framework. If we were to talk, another P would be presence. And how are you present in that market to be able to do, do manufacturing? Do you buy locally? Are you engaged in the community as a part of the community? Or are you outsiders? 
And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yet the traction gets faster if you have that presence. In Hong Kong, I have learned some of the language here, even though they speak Cantonese and I'm learning some, I speak Spanish, but I'm learning some of the uh, Mandarin. And I know people who've been here for 14 years, 16 years, and can't say a word of a Cant any Cantonese words. And that's, to me, kind of shameful because you should be able to connect to your audience and, and be present. And then perseverance. These are long-term games that you have to be, as an entrepreneur, you have to be committed to the market to understand it. Uh, and I'm going to laugh here because when I went to Silicon Valley, I remember calling my wife and saying, this place is a different animal. It's going to take me two years to understand it. And some people have said to me, oh, that's not enough time. So even going to Silicon Valley was to learn a new culture and a new environment. When you come to or visit other countries, be willing to spend the time. It's not as, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not, but the commitment has to be there. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it's kind of, you know, you bring up some interesting uh, points and, you know, in your sense of the perseverance, but if I'm a startup, I have to always think about, okay, how much money can I really afford to lose in a particular market? And because, you know, I can only ex extend my bandwidth so much. So what would your advice be to a startup that is, you know, that has got some limited resources? How should they go about building their international business? It's, it's funny that you use limited resources because there's no company. I just spoke with a guy yesterday. He's got a $5 billion company. He says we have limited resources. Everybody has limited resources for their plans that they're trying to, ex to expand on. It depends on the product offering. If it's, a, if it's a product offering that can just be delivered digitally, the presence is a different type of presence, but being able to have a translatable uh, website that individuals can understand, maybe one or two individuals, or when, when you go to the market, you're connected in a certain way that allows you entree into markets. Uh, there's always a solution for everything. It just depends on how you've approached it. So that's where it comes down to the thinking. Pick the markets that you can penetrate, pick the markets you can penetrate quickly or slowly, pick which have the longest uh, duration, pick which societies, cultures would give you the best domino effect. Meaning if I go into Hong Kong, London, and New York, that will open up uh, other markets. So pick them so whatever you're choosing, whichever market or companies you're going after, that the following companies see that as a value. I spend time in New York, Hong Kong, and San Francisco. Those are my three majors. That's not to say I'm not everywhere else. Yet, when someone says, oh, you're in New York, or oh, you're in uh, Hong Kong, it, it, it's a marketing positioning. And that's the way in which I think entrepreneurs, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a small business. I'm looking to position myself so that when I'm in those markets, I have capabilities to go to Singapore, Malaysia, Cambodia, uh, Japan, Taiwan, China, that's because being in Hong Kong gives me a central point of reference. And that's, that's just a way of thinking. And it takes time to identify what is your path to entry and expansion. So, you know, uh, when um, a lot of social media companies came out of the U.S. Uh, in the, you know, pre-Facebook days, um, it was interesting that some of them excelled in Philippines, some of them excelled in Indonesia, some of them excelled in India, and so on. And a lot of it depended on, and they were all based out of Silicon Valley, interestingly. Um, 
but a lot of it really depended on which markets their products caught on or maybe it depended really on who they hired in the local markets who was able to show them the right way and so what's what would you advise the startups that are looking to expand outside as to what's their best way to go I, I, I don't know if I'll be slammed for this, but in hindsight, many of the, the reasons people were, did successfully in a market are not actually the way they happened. So when someone says they say, and I've worked in the Philippines, Philippines is a challenging market to work with in, uh, and I've worked there many times. The challenge is that we don't really know what made that certain tick happen. It, let's Instagram wasn't a big player then, but let's assume it could have been in a celebrity said, I'm using Instagram. And then you get this huge mass following. If you're in China, you have to be on WeChat. Mm-hmm. And if a celebrity endorses it, people flock to a product or a, a solution. It doesn't work the same for every single environment. The challenge that you, there is a look of the draw on this and you want to stack the risk in your favor. So that whatever you're entering into, you've got the opportunity. But that comes back down to back to what we talked about: knowing your market, knowing the community, knowing how they engage, knowing what's valuable to them and not valuable to them. And that just takes an effort. Where some people are willing to do it, and some people aren't. I personally thrive on the global environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, David, we have less than a minute left, and uh, I know you're involved with a lot of endeavors besides this, so uh, your one endeavor of Moonheart, uh, I thought if you want to talk about it for a few seconds before we uh, do a closing. So, okay, I'll give you a very quick directive. Project Moonheart has been a five-year initiative with, new, with NASA. I've worked with the team at NASA. We have people all over the world, and our directive is to create sustainable life on the moon, not self-sustaining life, means we could support it, through the accelerated development of an Earth and space-based ecosystem to change how we live on Earth for all species. Because Elon Musk is only going to have a million people on Mars between 40 to 100 years if that happens. The, what we're doing is we're turning the camera or space and using it to go to space as a means of creating new and innovative ideas so that we can work on Earth so we address climate change, sea water levels rising, crustaceans not being able to form their shells, uh, extinction of animals. We're looking at resource depletion in terms of soil. The United States has about 60 years left. Uh, China has 25 years of topsoil left. We're looking at animals, uh, animal rights. We also, and not Gosh, just- I should have started with this earlier so we could have a full program on that. So there's a, there's a whole thing. So, I mean, we're, we're really working hard to change how we live on Earth for every, every species. Well, thank you a lot, David. I really appreciate it. Uh, I wish we had a little bit more time. Uh, maybe we'll do another uh, session at some point. And thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.